Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. All right, well, we had to split this episode into a two-parter because we've got a lot to talk about uh, concerning the coaching carousel, all the big moves that have been happening already. So here's our take on everything so far. Hope you enjoy it. And so the first couple of schools we're going to talk about are the schools who, who retain their interns, our interim coaches, I should say. Um, and so we'll, we'll get through all these schools pretty quickly here because we've talked about all these guys uh, so far. Um, on the pod, and the first of those is Bill Cubitt being hired uh, to stay at Illinois for two more years. Uh, Josh, you hate this hire, I know. Yeah, I mean, I think when you are questioning if you're going to retain a interim, the first question you have to ask is, hey, if this guy wasn't a part of our program, would he even get an interview? Cubitt, four games over 500 and got fired by Western Michigan, that would not have gotten him an interview. The offense, the last two years he's been at Illinois, not very good. 97th this year, that wouldn't have got him an interview. Let's be honest, they've got a horrible political situation with the chancellor's office in flux. The athletic directorship is in flux. This was a let's just stabilize things and figure it all out once we get that, uh, those other positions figured out. It sucks if you're an Illinois fan because they're not going to be good the next two years. Nope. No, they're not. And I think this year was kind of a fluke. I think the team just kind of rallied around each other after the whole Tim Beckman saga. Uh, they just kind of realized that, hey, we're just going to get fired up. We're going to make ourselves bowl eligible. I think the shine is going to wear off a little bit. I think you're going to see the real Bill Cubitt next year. Well, they finished 5-7 and seven and went 1-6 and six down the stretch. So I'm not sure how long that fired upness stayed. Well, I, I think I think had they not, they would have been a – they would have been a two and ten team. That's true. Yeah. So, so. okay. Well, uh, let's uh, let's keep it rolling. Um, well, actually, let's just keep it in the Big Ten. Minnesota uh, hired Tracy Clays, who took over midseason when uh, Jerry Kill stepped down due to health reasons. Uh, Josh, I think you're a little higher on this one. Yeah. Um, if you agree with the line of thought that Jerry Kill was close to turning that thing around, which we all do then you want to keep that continuity going, especially defensively, which is Tracy Clay's background. Um, I know he fired some offensive people, but that was a really bad offense. So that kind of goes against the keeping the ball moving line of, of debate. But defensively, it does keep the continuity there. And he's got 21 years of Jerry Kill. And I think this also allows Kill to kind of be kept around. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets uh, some kind of, you know, special assistant or special advisor to the athletic director as a way to keep him on campus and, and let him still kind of float around this program. I think that was a smart call. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, you know, if you just look at the record alone and you just kind of look at how they played, you know, you might not. But you know, I, I think he's got some things to learn as far as game management things. Uh, and I think having Jerry Kill around to kind of help him out will, you know, that'll that'll help him tremendously in, in trying to figure those things out. Offensively, he's got to make the right hire here. Um, you know, he has, a, he has a chance to get it right. He has a chance to get his guy in there 
and uh, he has a chance to really blow the lid off the program and keep that momentum going. Once you get a good defensive philosophy, once you get a good defensive culture, you know, offense, coaching-wise, I've noticed with a lot of these teams, offense is a little bit easier to uh, to manufacture well, a quick turnaround and, and culture. Defense is a little bit more difficult, um, oddly enough. Usually it's the other way around, but the, the, pattern, the pattern I've, I've realized is that defense – you know, once you get it established, offense, you can kind of just come in and and uh, and get it done. Well, you know, he, he's got to hope so because he just basically fired the entire offensive staff. Yeah, and, <laughs> so. and he, I think he'll find the right guy. I think he's just got to got to figure out exactly what direction he wants to go on that side of the ball and, and go get somebody that's going to not only execute a great game plan, but is going to go recruit the right people that he needs. And if you're Minnesota, you know, you're competing a lot. You know, Minnesota's not – it's not overall a talent-rich state, but I think it's got some pockets, especially in the Minneapolis area, that that have some pretty good talent. Um, but they're going to have to they're going to have to get some guys and coach them up. You know, they're going to have to get some of these, you know, three stars and two stars and get them in there and and, and overachieve with them if they're going to have a chance to compete. Which I, I think they can do if they hire the right guy, or they can hire some somebody with connections in a state that nobody else in the Big Ten really recruits, and, and that can be one of their advantages. So, you know, there's a, there's a million different directions they could go with this thing. Um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see who they who they target as as their offensive coordinator. Definitely, definitely. Well, um, our, our next school that uh, retains them from within is Toledo. And when Matt Campbell uh, left for the Iowa State job, which we'll get to here in a minute, uh, they promoted their offensive coordinator, Jason Candle. Um, you know, he was uh, offensive coordinator that presided over uh, you know, a, a team that, you know, put up a lot of points this year. So uh, you, you got to think they're at least like, looking forward to that kind of continuity, right, Coach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's the same same uh, principle as, as Minnesota. You know, you're you're Toledo. You're a MAC team. You know, let's just let's just keep going. What's made us successful under Matt Campbell? I think, you know, that's a, that's a good philosophy to have. Jason Candle will will come in and and he'll he'll hire the right guys to, on the defensive side of the ball. He'll get his staff together. He'll do things the same way Matt Campbell did, and they'll they'll keep rolling right along. Um, in, in that same machine there. And I think Toledo will be, you know, they'll be a force in the Mac for, for years here to come. Cause I think Candle will get this, get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another reason why I like, you know, having your offensive coordinator retain the job is Philip Ely, pretty good quarterback. He's a senior. So now instead of replacing an entire offense with a young quarterback, who's never been a starter, now they have the same offense that'll help the young quarterback replace the senior leader, smart to keep Jason Candle. Yeah, great, great, great move for them. Uh, lastly, we're going to get to Clay Helton, who was retained by USC after uh, Sarkeesian was given the unceremonious boot. Um, and he did really well. It got them into the Pac-12 title game. So, uh, you know, he was given DOS boot. <laughs> he, got, he, he got DOS boot. Um, so, you know, USC film school, what up? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, at least I thought, I sort of thought this was a little bit strange that they didn't at least take a little bit more time and make this announcement after big, after the, after the title game. Cause you think, you know, they might reach out to some other bigger names, but I don't know if you guys saw the video of the, rea- the reaction of the USC team when they announced that he was staying on, but those kids were fired up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great situation there. Uh, Clay Helton done, did a tremendous job with them. He found, like I said, he as I said earlier in the in the show, he found an identity. All right, and he was able to capitalize off that, and and I think that he's got a lot of momentum going with this team. He took a team that was dead in the water. They could have, they had all the built-in excuses they they wanted with with Sarkeesian, um, the Sarkeesian drama. They had they had everything going against them, and they could have just rolled over, had a terrible season, and said, "Oh, woe is me. We have an interim coach. You know, we can't do anything." But they didn't. They rallied around this guy. This guy found a way to motivate him, found a way to utilize all of his talent, and found a way to discover some other talent. Uh, you know, like Justin Davis, a, a guy that wasn't supposed to be a factor coming into the season, became a factor in this game. And and it's amazing to see the job that he's done. Uh, he was their offensive coordinator. Um, again, Josh, uh, your philosophy of keeping the offensive coordinator, here you go, right here. I think he's. I think he'll do a great job recruiting. I think he'll do, you know, they already had a pretty good recruiting class committed. And I think he'll do a tremendous job keeping that class because I think he'll retain most of the staff um, that has been recruiting all year long. Um, obviously, they'll add some some other pieces in there um, to uh, to round this thing out. But, you know, this was one of my favorite things. Uh, USC, I thought – was going to get in the Chip Kelly sweepstakes. Kind of glad they didn't. Um, I like the team that they had become under Clay Helton. I was, I was hoping that he was going to get a fair shake at it, and, and he did. They named him uh, when he did the improbable in winning the division um, somehow, some way. But I like the hire. Yeah, Matt, I, I agree with you. I, I thought they were going to play it out. They're the best job available. In my opinion, they're the best job in the entire country. So they could have waited because I don't think anyone was going to offer Helton a contract based on him just being an interim coach. Ed Odron didn't get a head coaching gig. Okay. So, I, so I think they could have waited. But when you saw the video of the kids reacting, it, it just made more and more sense. The one thing I would do if I was Pat Hayden, and this might be really smart, um, between Ed Odron and Clay Helton, they are 12 and four with interim coaches. I would give Clay Helton a one-year deal and have him just routinely be an interim coach. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> that that might be that might not be a bad option. But uh, Clay Helton's option, uh, if if he was not retained as interim coaches, he was uh, more than likely going to join Kirby Smart staff at Georgia. So, well, we can. Uh, we'll, We'll, we'll be getting to Georgia here in, uh, in, in, in a couple of minutes. But, um, uh, you know, actually, you know what? Screw it. Let's, let's hop right into talking about Georgia. It, 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 it seems like the right time. Uh, we're we're going to get into some of these schools that have found replacements from outside of their own staffs. And we'll, 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 start, we'll start with the dogs. Uh, Coach, uh, you know, I know you, have probably, you probably have some cl- conflicted feelings about this. I know you were someone who really um, had a lot of respect for, for Coach Rick, but – also, is you know you you've professed that you think you, you think Kirby Smart is you know one of the best defensive minds in the country. Yeah, I think that the way the whole thing went down could have been a lot better. I, I think that they kind of botched the whole thing, if that's possible. Uh, you know, Coach Rick obviously garnered a lot of respect across the country, uh, not just for myself, but you know, you see, I see a lot of the feedback because you know, obviously, I'm friends with a lot of people that went to Georgia, you see a lot of the feedback, a lot of the people that 
were impacted in ways that you wouldn't imagine happening at any other program. Um, you know, just, just astounding, but you know, un- unfortunately that's only a small part of the job description. Um, and I'm sure they appreciate everything that he's done. I just think it got to a point to where the program was becoming stale. Um, I, I don't think, I think both sides were kind of disinterested at that point. And, and it didn't seem like Georgia was ever going to get to the mountaintop under, under Rick. Um, and so they felt like they needed to do something and they did. And I, I guess if you're going to get rid of a guy like Mark Rick, who's been there 15 years, put Georgia on the map, made Georgia an elite job, made Georgia the type of place where you would question firing the coach and going, really, is that what you need to do with all the success? But, you know, I, I think the guy that they're going to bring in, uh, he, the more and more I learn about him, Kirby Smart, the more and more I, I generate respect for him because I think he's an intelligent guy. He, kind, he, he just – he has an overall um, – he just gets it, you know, the, the overall scheme of things. I think he – I think he, you know, he – did the right thing by staying under Saban and being very selective with his job choices. I think he learned a lot. I think you'll find out and we'll find out as a country and I'll definitely find out as a Georgia fan, how much freedom he had with Nick Saban and how much responsibility Nick Saban gave him um, as far as like doing things that, you know, a head coach would, would do. Um, you know, as a part of like training him for this type of situation. So he's going to, you know, it, it looks right now as he's going to, he's going to hire the right staff. Um, the defense coordinator situation is still um, in a big, huge question mark because Will Muschamp is a candidate at South Carolina. Um, and then Jeremy Pruitt will not be retained. So he's going to have to figure out that right there. But, you know, their number one goal right now is just to make sure this recruiting class stays intact, especially Jacob Eason. If you look at this roster, a glaring deficiency is the quarterback position. And if Jacob Eason jumps, jumps ship, it's going to be a rough ride or you're going to have to find somebody that can, that you feel like can fill in. So um, I really like the hire. Um, I hate the circumstances that it came in, but I really, I really like what, you know, what Kirby smart brings to the table. I think he's going to be, you know, for a coordinator that, that I was skeptical about uh, because he had no prior experience, uh, for a guy that's had no prior experience, I think he's probably the most seasoned coordinator to take over this year, and I think Georgia's going to get a going to get a good one. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that the herky jerky nature of, of Rick's departure kind of lends some some credence, maybe at least in terms of the the optics of it, of something I said a couple weeks ago with with South Carolina was making a lot of smoke for for getting Kirby. I, was, I sort of thought, hey, Georgia wants him. He's a Georgia alum. They got to either, you know, crap or get off the pot. And I think they decided to, to let go of Rick in order to get Kirby. Um, so I like the hire. You're always curious when someone who has succeeded with the talent Alabama has, if they can succeed without that talent. But the way Jim McElwain did it at Colorado State and Florida – I think, you know, lends credence to, to they are good coaches. It's not just the, the Alabama talent. Uh, something, though, about him being, you know, never having head coach experience coach, I think Georgia needs to be a little more patient with him than you normally would be. 
I think, yeah, I, 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 think, I, think you almost, I think you almost throw out this first year. Yeah, they did that with Rick in his first year. Uh, Georgia finished eight and four uh, and lost in the Music City Bowl to Boston College. Um, they kind of threw that out throughout that year. The next year, they won the SEC and uh, were victorious in the Sugar Bowl against the Florida State Seminoles. They were one drop pass away, actually, from playing in the national championship game. Um, and again, they dropped to Florida. So, you know, you got to throw out the first year uh, for guys that don't have prior head coaching experience. It's going to be a huge learning curve for Kirby. And, uh, you know, there's no discounting that. But, uh, you know, he's an intelligent guy. He'll figure it out. I think, you know, I think right now eight and four is your goal. Eight and four is your benchmark. Uh, for the first year, you you certainly would love to do better, and and if it and if it goes worse, you know you'll just have to kind of kind of just hit the recruiting trail and just try to try to fix it. That's that's the best way to solve the problem is just go out and and recruit that problem away, and, uh, and that's well, what's going to happen. Well, on the bright side, he's inheriting a wonderful quarterback situation that is the envy of really no one. Huh. Yes. Well, actually, well, yeah, but like Coach said, the, you know, the Cleveland yeah. Browns might, might want to have this quarterback situation. But that's about it. Well, um, you know, but they do have uh, Jacob Eason hopefully staying on. And if there's one thing Kirby Smart can do, it's recruit. I know it's mostly been defensive guys, but he, you know, he, he's one of the best recruiters in the country for the last, you know, a half dozen years or so. So uh, he doesn't you, just recruit guys, he recruits everybody. Yeah. He does a job at doing so. So, all right, well, uh, let, let, let's move on then. Uh, let, let's actually let, – let's. Um, we're going to jump around to here a little bit. Well, well, I thought we were doing schools who have hired replacements from outside. And that was the first one. Yeah, okay. Well, then yeah. you said you were moving around. You're confusing me. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm moving around in, in the order instead of going alphabetical. We're going to go right to Mark Rick's next job of oh. the U. Um, He's jumping around House of Pain style. Yeah. Well, I am a badger. So, uh, yes, you Coach uh, – uh, Quickly, uh, how do you think that, you know, Margaret, you know, going back to his alma mater, you know, do you think that's a good fit for him? Uh, I love the fact that he's going back to his alma mater. That's starting to kind of become a trend around college football. It's one of my kind of one of my favorite trends. I kind of like how it's going. But um, I think he's got his work cut out for him, to be honest with you. I think there's, you know, there's they're in for a culture shock. He's in for a culture shock. Uh, he's got a lot of work ahead of him as, as far as changing the culture of that program around and, and kind of cleaning things up and getting getting the ship going in the right direction. Um, I'm hoping you don't get another Charlie Strong situation where he comes in, cuts a whole lot of troublemakers, and, and, and really struggles because most of your talent is shipped off to uh, Florida International. So um, I, I think he's I think he's more apt to have success than Charlie Strong was because I think he, you know, as much as it doesn't seem like sometimes he actually is a pretty brilliant, brilliant guy. I think he's a, I think he'll good, do a good job of reaching out to those players. Um, I, I think it initially will be a bad fit, but I think it's something he can grow into and really enjoy. And then I think Miami, if they're patient with him, I think that they can really turn into a special program here in about three or four years. Yeah, I mean, the, the, three or four years. I think you're crazy, Coach. I think he's inheriting a wonderful situation. Miami very, very, very quietly finished the season four and one. Um, Larry Scott, their interim coach, just let them go out there and play. And Brad Kaya played a lot better 
he's inheriting a good quarterback situation. I, I think that's probably the best situation Brad Kaya could have could have yeah. dreamed up. Mark Rick's track record with quarterbacks is stellar. Yeah, Same. and I mean, you know what? The uh, this Larry Scott guy, he was the tight ends coach. He doesn't have a lot of buzz with him. If I'm Rick, I'm you know I'm keeping him on the staff because whatever he was selling, the kids were buying down that stretch. Yeah, absolutely. That that's going to be the key to see who he retains and and who he brings with him. If he, I, I think his success, his his track for success will go move along a lot faster. I think if he brings in Brian McClendon uh, from his staff up at Georgia, um, who's his ace recruiter, Kirby's main competition for recruiter of the year every season. Um, keep Larry Scott, and then just try to kind of figure out your defensive coordinator situation. Maybe he can talk Jeremy Pruitt into coming with him to Miami. Uh, that'll be a challenge. Uh, we'll see how he recruits, see how many of those Georgia kids flip to Miami now that Rick is down there. But, you know, I, I think realistically, you know, you got to look three, three, maybe four years down the road, worst case scenario. But, I mean, I think there's some, there's some, uh, I think there's a formula there for, a quick turnaround, um, but just being kind of realistic and, and kind of just knowing what the culture is down in Miami as far as uh, how they how they operate and you know the kind of support that that he's going to get from that athletic department. Um, you know, I, I think with you know, I think they're going to. I think it's going to trickle in. I think it's going to take some time because they don't have the money supply Georgia had. Yeah, um, you know, or the and, facilities. Yeah. Or the facilities, or even the ability to do something about it, as much as Georgia did. Georgia had, I think, seventy million in reserves um, to build an IPF, which was basically just like pulling money out of your sock and saying, "Okay, go, go build the state-of-the-art indoor facility." So, you know, I, I think once Miami realizes that it can, that it is allowed to invest a little bit of money. I think the reason I said three to four years is because the financial support. I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of these boosters come back into the fold and start donating and start really getting back involved with the program. And I think you're going to see an uptick in that. I just think it's more of a process than than turning it around a, a year later. I think they're going to be a lot more competitive next year. I'm not saying that they won't be um, on the field. I think they'll be you know eight and four this year. Um, I think you know I think. They'll have a similar record. I think they'll probably finish nine and three next year, but they're going to be in a lot more ball games, and I think they're going to cause a lot more trouble for people. Well, they're um, in the I, easier I division. Brad, I, yeah, they're in the easier. They're in the easier division. I think they might make the ACC title game next year. They could. Well, I mean, well, they, they might. Could. It might be like USC this year. They might have three or four losses, but win the games that they need to. I'm curious, though, what you guys think of. How far is Al Goldenstock gone? This is a guy who won 17 games in 09 and 10 at Temple. Miami, we heard it. Oh, the, the sanctions. Oh, you know, not playing with a full deck. And then as soon as they get rid of him, it's like the stress is gone and Miami goes 4-1, and one, ends up with eight wins. I mean, is anyone going to take him this year? Uh, he's he's got to be, be a coordinator for a year. Uh, I well, I've I've heard that he's he's in it for for the Rutgers job. I think he's uh, I think they really like him for the Rutgers Ooh. job. 
I, I am uh, I'm gonna Google now. When does Iowa play uh, Rutgers in football? Okay. Next season, I think. Well, let, let's stick in that same easier division mm-hmm. in the coastal. Uh, of the uh, of the ACC and talk about Virginia Tech, uh, where Frank Beamer, the legend, stepped down after a career where he went two thirty five, one twenty and two, including a pretty ridiculous one twenty four and fifty two record in conference. Um, you know, uh, an absolute legend. He is uh, going to be replaced by one of the hottest names on the coaching market this year, uh, Justin Fuente out of Memphis. So, uh, Coach. Um, you know, what do you think of – how do you think Fuente fits here at Virginia Tech? Well, he fits a lot better now that he's retaining Bud Foster. I think that was probably the most important move he could have made uh, since since taking over for the Hokies. Um, it's going to see – it's going to be interesting to see what he how he fills the rest of his staff, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, uh, what he does with Shane Beamer. I don't I don't know if, if anything's definitive as far as what, what his fate is, but um, – you know, I think this is, you know, obviously Justin Fuente was, was you know, brought up in a lot of conversations for a lot of different jobs. Um, I think Virginia Tech would be a good fit for him, especially coming from Memphis and coming from the uh, the American Conference. I think this is his next step to, you know, becoming – I think he gets to that next level um, in his coaching career. I think he kind of he, – he's going to take a – he's going to continue going on an upward trend – because if there's anything that guy knows how to do, it's, it's how to re-energize a program that definitely needs re-energizing. And, and that's not to say that's not to say anything negative about about uh, Frank Beamer. I just think that you know you, you've been somewhere for 29 years. You know things get a little stale. They they haven't experienced a lot of success at Virginia Tech recently, um, and, and that's just kind of how the program has has become um, a program that has a lot of potential. And I think that Justin Fuente is somebody that can come in and, and uncover and tap into that potential and, and really get this team going, um, get them competitive again in, in the ACC. Um, it'll make for a very interesting division race. Um, they're on the same side as Miami, I believe, right? Yeah, uh, yeah the same side as Miami. It, it, I, I think with Mark Richt at Miami, Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, I think that rivalry is going to be renewed. It hasn't been much of a rivalry lately because both teams haven't been very good. But um, like those good old, uh, you know, East, the, the big old B, Big East days, those were uh, those were some really good games back in the mid to late nineties. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, especially that game in two thousand with between Michael Vick and and that 2000 Canes team that played in the Sugar Bowl that year, Butch Davis's last year, I believe. Uh, that was a very entertaining game to watch between those two teams. I think that they could eventually I, – I don't, I don't know that they'll ever get back to that level to where they were, you know, fighting for the number one spot in the country. But, you know, you never know. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Virginia is a, you know – is a very I, I want to call them a sleeper state because a lot of people don't realize how loaded that state is with talent, and it really is loaded with talent, uh, more so than anyone could ever imagine. And uh, I think that Justin Fuente being at Virginia Tech and then them just kind of casting the first stone in this hiring process gives them a huge advantage within their own state. And I think they've, if they recruit their state well and then they get some, they pluck some guys from various spots in the southeast, I think Fuente will have that Memphis 
area on lock, that Memphis radius with, you know, parts of Arkansas, parts of Mississippi, that area. I think he's going to still have that on lock. I think he's a lot of connections there. Um, I think they give themselves a huge advantage, and I think they can they can do it. Same with Rick. Uh, Rick, all he has to do is just close down uh, Howard Schnellenberger's state of Miami, mm-hmm. and just and just dominate the state of Miami in recruiting. Dade and Broward and, counties. Dade and Broward County, uh, and I think they can. You know, I, I think they can get the job done. There's a lot of there's a lot of talent on the West Coast over there too, and in, in uh, you know in that West Coast of Miami Florida. Camp. Yeah, the west coast of Florida. Yeah, sorry. That, you know, that Fort Myers, Tampa, uh, mm-hmm. West Palm Beach, that kind of whole corridor right there, um, you know, from Tampa all the way, you know, to the tip of, you know, Florida. I think, you know, there's, there's some talent down there that they can tap into. And then if they, if they recruit their areas well, you know, they can, they can make that ACC Coastal a tremendous division that, that would rival the other you know, with Clemson and Florida State. So I think the ACC with these two hires is on the verge to becoming a relevant conference again. Well, I, I – Potentially. I, potentially. I'm not going to go ahead and – I'm not going to be bold enough to proclaim that. But I think potentially it's there. Well, do we want to we want to move on to talking about the uh, – well, I, I just want to say I love the hiring of Fuente, but – Right after he got the job, I was reading reports that, like, Bud Foster was still there, Shane Beamer was still there. It's almost like, did he get any say on his staff? And I texted you, Matt. I was like, if they loved Bud Foster that much, make him your coach. So I'm curious. Maybe Bud Foster said he just wanted to be a defensive coordinator. Maybe, but I'm curious if – Fuente had to take the job with some strings, maybe. I don't know. And if that's the case, I, I don't like the proposition of having to do a job with one hand tied behind my back listening to these administrators. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see. That's a concern. That's always we'll, a concern. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. Well, let, let's, uh, you know, let, let's stick in the area. And a uh, former ACC member, Maryland, um, they have fired – uh, Michigan uh, defensive coordinator DJ Durkin, um, who led who led uh, Michigan to uh, uh, a Michigan defense this year, who was uh, pretty stout all around, weren't they, Josh? Yeah, you said fired, by the way, which I thought was interesting. I didn't realize Maryland had stunk up the joint enough to already have fired a coach. Oh wow, I'm sorry, I hired. Well, uh, Durkin, get, I mean, you never know. Yeah. It's, it's, it is no, Maryland. Um, you know, he. It, it's just like. Kirby Smart, really, really good defense, hasn't been a head coach, and my God, is Maryland a tough place to win. I'll, I'll believe when I see it. I'm just going to say that. Coach? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think this is probably the best possible hire they could make, um, but, it, you know, it's a tough place to, it's a tough place to win, yeah. you know. I think they – They've hit kind of rock bottom. I think their support's at an all-time low. I think the only advantage as far as support goes that they have is that Under Armour sitting sitting there. Yeah, Under Armour's throwing money around. Yeah. Ready to contribute, you know, big-time funds to the program. They just need a guy that they're confident in. And for uh, DJ Durkin and for any of these coordinators coming in that, that haven't been head coaches previously, 
the most crucial thing he's going to have to do now is hire a good staff. And I think if, you know, that goes, that's true for, for, I guess a lot of, I guess, I guess you say it's true across the board, but you know, it's even more crucial that, you know, if you don't have any experience, you've got to, you've got to get the right mix of guys in there to kind of help you along uh, and, and make it more of a team effort and, and really just help you along to some, some good success. So um, I like the high, I like the higher, I'm just skeptical that, that it's going to move up. You know, I, I, I'm skeptical that it's going to, uh, you know, have quick success because of where Maryland is as a program. Well, I like the fact that they did not do the usual, and that is just pluck a random max coach with, like, one-year experience, like Purdue did with Daryl Hazel. So it is refreshing that they're at least kind of thinking outside the box. Um, One thing that I'm curious if uh, Maryland or DJ Durkin would be open to this idea since he's a defensive guy, they just haven't been the same since they unceremoniously kicked Ralph Friedgen to the curb. And Friedgen is still around the game. He's been on the uh, Rutgers staff. And I know Rutgers wasn't exactly setting the world on fire the last few years. But maybe they can bring in Friedgen in some way, have him be like a special assistant or something, and just help Durkin on the offensive side of things, but also help Durkin with the game management things that head coaches are used to. That takes a humble personality, and maybe Durkin has that, maybe he doesn't. And but a bigger that, food budget. Yeah, but that might help. That's a good joke. That might help bury a little bit of the hatchet, though, from a program that just hasn't been the same since they they just I, – I still can't believe it. They they won nine games since last year. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty astounding. Well, let, uh, let, let's move to the last of the uh, Power Five schools that have hired a replacement coach. Iowa State uh, dismissed Paul Rhodes after um, another three and nine season uh, and replaced him with uh, and, and replaced him with Matt Campbell of the Af- of uh, Toledo. And so, um, you know, Josh, you know, you and I have te- you text you and I text a little bit. Uh, after after this hire, and I, I think you're I think you're on board with it. I love it. I love it. Um, it almost reminds me of when Iowa basketball got Todd Licklider and Butler got better. Huh. When when Purdue got Daryl Hazel, Toledo got better. Matt Campbell was obviously the genius on that staff. You saw. It. 24 and 8 in the very competitive MAC, 35 and 15, took down multiple power conference teams this year, beat Iowa State in Ames, and he called his wife after that game and said he couldn't believe how nice the facilities were, how great the fans were. And it really, really reminds me of when Hayden Fry wanted to go to Iowa, he was watching a game and he's like this team is awful and they've sold out the stadium imagine what the environment is like if they ever won something matt campbell's gonna be doing the same thing at iowa state the people in ames are rabid and they've had nothing to cheer about 
for a long, long time, and they still show up and they still have a good atmosphere. Campbell has the potential to be not a home run, a grand slam higher. I love, I, I love this. I love this. Yes, and, and Josh, I'm just going to keep it very simple when I talk about Matt Campbell. I'm going to say ditto because, you know, I think he's a guy that can win with small-time talent. Um, you know, Toledo's not blowing the lid off the recruiting rankings by any stretch of the imagination, but they get it done. And and, it, and a lot of it's due to Matt Campbell, the culture that he brings, uh, the things that he does, the motivation that he has. And I think the support is going to be even greater at Iowa State because they desperately want somebody to win so they can go out and not only support them, but like really just kind of almost on like a double rabid basis. They're going to, uh, you know, I think he's going to blow the lid off this program. And I think Iowa State is, um, you know, they're not going to win a national championship <laughs> next year, but, you know, they're going to, uh, they're going to make some noise for sure. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I, I mean, they could be, you know, if, if all things go right there, it sounds like you guys think they could be, you know, the next Baylor in that conference in the next, you know, three, three, four years. I mean, I've seen stranger things happen. I mean, Baylor was a bottom feeder, not 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 not, 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 not that long ago. Uh, I will say this: he inherits kind of a, a sneaky decent team. You know, Warren's a nice running back. They have a quarterback who's a freshman who showed some flashes this year. He's not getting a complete awful Iowa State team. It's not – You know, the the cupboard's not bare, but it's not exactly fully stocked either. No, it's like as good a person and as great a motivator as Paul Rhodes was, you saw it with that collapse against Kansas State. He doesn't know time management. He doesn't do the little things that head coaches need to do at these – schools where your margin of error is that slim. When you're less miles at LSU with top-end talent, you can get away with doing goofy time management things, and that's why the Hatter is so lovable. When you're Iowa State and you do those goofy time management things, you lose games. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, Josh, I know you like that one, but I know that's not your favorite hire of the year so far. Your favorite hire of the year has got I, – I know this for a fact, a Central Florida – Oh yeah, Oregon's offensive coordinator Scott Frost. You you sent me a, a, a text saying that this was an absolute coup. Yeah, I know. This time last year, Nebraska fans were like on bended knee praying to get Scott Frost. And one of the things that Nebraska was looking for was someone with head coach experience. So they didn't even really bother to interview him. This is a guy with a lot of prestige. I know that. Central Florida is terrible, so I'm not going to say they're going to be 10 and 1, 10 and 2, 11 and 1, something like that. But it has shades of Tom Herman going to Houston. Ooh. And you saw how good Oregon's offense has been the last several years. I know Helfrich plays a part in that, but I think Frost is the real deal. I think this is an absolute steal for the Knights, especially if they can offer him big money and try and keep him around. This is a potential game changer for that night program because, you know, George O'Leary did yeoman's work down there, but he was always old. And we always knew he wasn't long for his career. Scott Frost is an up-and-comer. This is huge, huge for Central Florida. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think Scott Frost was a name last year that I was kind of like, really? No, nope. nobody's hired this guy. What? I mean, I think a lot of us. Thought have, that. I mean, does he have like drug charges or something? Does he have a criminal record that I don't know about? Is What's going on with that? Like, yeah. I mean, does he have like a dead body in his trunk or something? He, I mean, what's going on here? Why is this guy not getting hired somewhere as a head coach? But it made no sense to me. But, you know, I think he's about to show the world why they, people made a huge mistake, especially Nebraska. And I think in like three years, Nebraska is going to come calling, or actually two years now, uh, Nebraska is going to come calling after they fire Mike Riley. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think he's about to prove something to the world here. Um, and you're not going to see it overall. You know, this is going to be – I know this is kind of crazy to say, but they're going to be the best 7-5 and five team in the country this year. Um, and they're going to be hell on wheels at 7-5. and five. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, the other thing I want to throw out there about Scott Frost is, you know, he's a Nebraska alum. That's why he had ties to the Husker program. And he's been at Oregon since 09. So that's why you can be like, oh, well, you know, Helfrich, Chip Kelly, there's a system there. He was a part of the Northern Iowa staff when they went 12-3 and three and were fourth in the country. And, like, they were a legitimately good team. They lost in the FCS playoffs. So he's done it in other places. And here's another good tie for you. He was a grad assistant at Kansas State with Bill Snyder. So this is a guy who hasn't just done a flash-in-the-pan type thing the last few years at Oregon. He's got other stops on his resume that make me very impressed. All right. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, uh, let, let, let's move quick to another American uh, team. Uh, Memphis just, you know, within the last two hours have hired Mike Norvell, the Arizona State offensive coordinator. And I actually want to go in um, on this uh, a, a little bit and just say they got a guy who can flat out recruit. Um, he uh, This year uh, at Arizona State, he has been responsible uh, for six of their uh, six of their 16 signings, including uh, f- including five star um, wide receiver in uh, uh, Harry Harry um, and Harry Carey Harry Carey um, and. And <laughs> including, sorry, yeah, including five star, sorry, and Keel Harry, um, and uh, you know the number two wide receiver in the country, number seven athlete in the in the country, Chase Lucas, another four star guy, um, you know, just a bunch of really, really uh, number six running back in the country, Trey Turner, um, number seven quarterback in the country, Dillian Sterling Cole. All these guys are involved with you know Norvell was you know the point man are very much involved with their recruiting. Um, you know, in, in Tennessee is, is it, like we said, it's a talent-rich state. So uh, I expect Memphis. You know, they might take a, a small step back here uh, with the loss of Fuente, but it's not going to last for long. I think that Ashley Croft, you better be real happy with this hire. You got you got an up-and-comer. He's only thirty-four years old, too. Well, the uh, the other thing about Norville that is impressive, I think, is in their six losses, they still averaged. 29 points per game. So ASU's six and six disappointing season, that wasn't on him. That was the defense was awful all year long. So recruiting and seems like he knows how to coach 
got a lot of juice out of a Mike Bercovici guy who was, frankly, a career backup for a reason. Um, so I think it's a good hire. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, uh, final hiring, uh, we'll, we'll get through this one real quick. Nick Rolovich, the uh, Nevada offensive coordinator, gets hired by Hawaii to take over for, uh, to, uh, to take over for Norm Chow, who had, um, you know, I think just spent way too much time on Waikiki Beach and not enough time in the film room at this point in his career. So, um, you know, uh, Rolovich, you know, uh, he's on he's an unproven commodity right now. We'll see. Nevada's had a very uh, unique offense uh, lately. Uh, you know, they run a lot of pistol and stuff like that. You know, it, it's a little bit it's a little gimmicky, but I think if you're at Hawaii, you have to be a little, little bit gimmicky to win. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, and I think it also kind of uh, harkens back a little bit to uh, to June Jones. He was with the Hawaii team and in the 2000s with Jones. So uh, it, it's weird. You know, June Jones said he had some interest in the job. They didn't really give him a, a shot. I'm wondering if being an alum, Rolovich gave them a huge discount because they were paying Norm Chow chump change and the athletic department has said they're cash strapped. They were even thinking about dropping football. Um, so, uh, you know, good luck to Nick Rolovich. There's, if you're going to be losing a lot of games, at least you're doing it in Hawaii. So, you know, there, there are much places, much worse places to be losing games. Uh, I mean, he's not in Moscow, Idaho. So, absolutely not. Coach, but, anything to add? No, I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about Nick Rolovich. I know that uh, Nevada is usually typically pretty good on offense, and I think they do. Uh, you know, as far as being well coached, I think they're typically well coached. So. I think that him being alum, him him coming in and, and hopefully going to uh, do a good job with the, uh, you know, with, a, I guess, a low-budget type program, um, I think he has a chance to uh, to do some things, especially if he's patient. I think it's going to be uh, a work in progress, and they're going to have to figure out a way to generate some money as an athletic department. And they might have to take a few ball games um, on the road to get paid, Um a good chunk of change to maybe take a butt kicking, um, but they're going to have to just kind of slowly build this thing. And can they? Who knows? Who knows? Well, um, you know that that is the last of the hirings, and so uh, with with the very little time that we have remaining, I want to just burn through real quick the last uh, uh, vacancies that we have. We'll start with Group of Five schools: uh, North Texas, Tulane, and UL Monroe. Um, we don't have a whole lot of uh, potential candidates uh, for any for any of these schools. Anything jump out to you about any of the, these three guys? Well, North Texas has a new stadium. Good recruiting area, in theory, with being near the Dallas area. It, it could be a good spot for an up-and-coming coach. We'll see if they can make it happen. There, there's a reason why North Texas is kind of a North Texas. They, they seem to not ever take advantage of some natural ability there. But uh, we'll see if the Mean Green can do, do something right this time around. Well, uh, for for North Texas, uh, Doug Meacham, the co-offensive coordinator at TCU, was the lead candidate. He withdrew his name. Uh, right now, I think the the leading candidate of, of the names that I saw between football scoop and coaching search was Seth Luttrell, which is the offensive coordinator at UNC. Um, 
I believe that as of right now, he's probably likely the guy that's going to take it. Um, and I think that, you know, he can come in, do a really good job, establish some things uh, with that program and just get it going in the right direction. So yeah. um, as far as Tulane goes, man, that's a mess. I mean, I, I might put in for that job. You know, New Orleans. Coach, uh, I think I think you're probably a better candidate than nine out of ten guys are going. they're going to interview anyway. So exactly. well, the, the thing about Tulane is – They've got a brand new stadium, so they, they seem like they're committed to it, but they are an Ivy League caliber education, which always makes it difficult. Yep. And they're in the American Conference, which has exceeded all expectations. That's way, way, way closer to being a Power Five conference than it is a Group of Five conference. So it, going there is sort of like taking a Wake Forest Vanderbilt job. You know you're in for a long haul. Yeah, it's 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 a real tough one. Uh, you know, UL Monroe, Raging Cajuns coming off. Whoa, that's the Warhawks. Lafayette's the Raging. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my ULs. Whoa, uh, Warhawks whoa. coming off just one season of Todd Berry. Uh, oh, before this year, he had a winning record at conference um, and was uh, 27 and 32 overall, almost 500. This year, they were terrible, one and 11, 0 and seven. Uh, anyone want to take that job? Um, someone will because there's only 128 Division One, you know, high, high football. Um, you know, they're probably going to have to take a flyer on someone from the FCS rank would be my guess. Um, they're kind of almost like the baby brother program to Lafayette in their own conference, in their own State Louisiana Lafayette's been in bowl games recently and won bowl games. There's just not a lot going there. All right. Well, let's uh, l- l- let's get it uh, finally to the Power Five schools. Uh, we'll start with Mizzou. Gary Pinkle stepped down due to health reasons after a storied career there. One eighteen and seventy three overall, sixty four and fifty seven in conference. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it seemed like a kind of almost came out of nowhere that Pinkle uh, stepped down. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully his health is all right. Um, the, the scary thing is we had heard that, oh, Flip Saunders, similar illness and highly treatable and unfortunately passed away. So obviously we hope Gary Pinkle can beat, beat his cancer. Uh, the curious thing for me is the – Seem like they really want Matt Rule, and that's been a, a common name connected right there. But he's a defensive guy, and their defense is already fantastic. I'm surprised. Well, he, he withdrew his name, didn't he? I haven't heard that he re- withdrew his name. But uh, no, he actually. I heard the same thing, coach. I heard he withdrew his name. Oh, okay, well, that's news to me. But that's probably a blessing then for Missouri because I think they need an offensive guy. Their, their defense seems set, and they've got an identity on defense. The offense has been a mess the last few years. That's what they need to address. Yeah, I mean, a, a name that I saw, uh, not sure exactly what the chances are, um, but a couple of names that I've seen in, in this job, Matt Wells, which is uh, Utah State's head coach, uh, Mike Bobo from Colorado State, Troy Cal. Bobo's. And then the fighting Bobos in Missouri. And then Sonny Dykes is a name that popped Sonny up. Sonny Dykes interviewed earlier this week. Yes. And so uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see who they hire. I think that's a job that, you know, if you hire the right guy, um, 
you're you're right back in you're right back in the East again. Uh, if you hire the wrong guy, now you're now you're down at the bottom. So it's one of those jobs that can go. You can either be contending in the East, like legitimately contending in the East, or you can go right down to the cellar really quick if you hire the wrong guy. Well, um, well I know I know they had looked at Matt Campbell pretty hard. I'm wondering if you know it's a tough place to recruit in the SEC. That's such a tough conference, even though they're in the East. I'm wondering if some of these people are looking at it and going, mm, do I really want to – do I really want a job that's going to be tough sledding and well, replace the all-time winningest coach? I'm wondering if they missed out on – they really probably should have gone after Scott Frost, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, talking about the absolute seller, uh, the alma mater, my, my father's alma mater – uh, Rutgers, um, Kyle Flood and the AD out. Um, you know, they're just th- – that program is an absolute dumpster fire right now. Um, that entire athletic department is a dumpster fire right now. Um, I, I – you know, Chris Ash, Al Golden have been some names that thrown around. We talked about Al Golden a little bit earlier. Chris Ash, Ohio State's defensive coordinator, former Wisconsin defensive coordinator. Um, you know, he's a, he's a hot young name. I don't know why he'd want to go to Rutgers. No, this job is a dead-end job, to be honest with you. It is – it's in the toughest division in the Big Ten, obviously, and probably the second toughest, although the SEC West had some teams not really live up to expectations. So you can make a very valid argument that the Big Ten East is the toughest division in all of football. So that's not a good place to be, and then they're one – Silver lining, the one player you could maybe be like, oh, hey, at least I've got Leontay Carew. Well, he's a senior. So, their best, yeah, their best player is going to be gone. The thing's a dumpster fire. The administration is our mess. Uh, they really are, I don't know who they're going to get. They got to hire an AD before they hire a coach. Oof, it's going to be ugly, whoever they get. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be, that's probably the, that's probably the most, toxic job that you can go to the the recruiting area is not very good uh penn state pitt ohio state maryland they all come into your state and, and raid your state uh new you know new jersey in that in that region is probably um i don't consider pennsylvania in the same region as, as new jersey so i'm gonna say that northeast area is just not very talent rich um you know, your only hope is Pennsylvania, and you've got a lot of people coming into Pennsylvania. So, very, very, very tough place to win. Uh, there was a reason they were uh, they were bottom feeders for pretty much the entirety of their program's history up until Greg Schiano got there. Um, there's a reason for that, um, and I think that's kind of where they're heading again. So, if they, you know, they're going to need somebody that can come in, maybe overachieve, finish with eight wins, and 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 just they're gonna have to get a bunch of journeyman head coaches. You know, you know what? I, I I think Greg Schiano, you know, having come back to work, he, yeah, I know we threw his name in the in the name of the hat for Miami. I think bringing him back actually might be, you know, that that might not be the worst option in the world. So it's just to bring some stability to the program. They need a Jersey guy. They need somebody. They if there's a school that needs an alum, 
more than any other school in this country. It's Rutgers. What what, what, what alums do they have that are like even decent though? Is my question. Like who knows? Rutgers have been successful at at football in the last two decades. There's somebody there that knows a lot of football that might not have been successful that could come. Hey, back. Ray Who? Rice. I don't Ray know. Rice is an, on an NFL roster right now. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, yeah. That, <laughs> speaking speaking of toxic, um, Jerry Edo. Well. <laughs> All right, well, let's keep it moving, guys. Uh, we, we got three schools left, and uh, we, we got we got we got to finish this up. I'm hungry. Um, so, uh, South Carolina, South Kekalaki, uh, they were in the Kirby Smart sweepstakes, did not uh, get it. Uh, Will Muschamp seems to be uh, the leader in the clubhouse right now, right, Coach? Well, uh, you would like to say yes, but uh, another wrench in the situation is. Uh, Arizona head coach Rick Rod- Rich Rodriguez will meet with South Carolina officials on their head coaching job. So he's going to throw his name in the mix. Really? So, Rich Rod, really? Yeah. Look out there. Um, but uh, for all practical, for all intents and purposes, uh, I think Will Muschamp is your front runner for that job. I think that – you know, that's where he'd get his second chance um, to come back and, and, and get a redo and, and try to find some offensive – try to recruit some offensive talent in his second stint. As head they're going to hire a, a, a former Florida head coach for the second time in a row? Yep, and that's what – and uh, they, they're like, well, you know, we had the most success this program's ever had hiring a former Florida coach. So let's – you know what? Let's do it. Again. I, I believe they say, well, uh, we had the most, we had the most uh, success under, uh, under, under the old ball coach here. So uh. here's, here's what I think South Carolina should do. Cause I don't really like Will Muschamp. No, he's not. I, no, I'm with you. I think if you're going to do a retread, honestly, Gene Chizik should be who you would go after. But yeah. here's something that South Carolina has done in their own past, and they've really done it with their last two hires, Spurrier and Lou Holtz. Why not Mac Brown? Why not who? Mac Brown. Does Mac Brown want to get back into coaching? Yes. He's He's only 65. Eight wins, nine wins, eight wins. His last three years at Texas. In conference... Four, five, seven. So 2013 tied for second. They didn't fall off the cliff like everyone thinks Texas did. It's not like he did the the Frank Beamer or the the Hayden Fry where the game just passed him by and they were terrible. I mean, 2009 they were playing for the national title and they were well above 500 his last few years there. You know, that, 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 that's an, that, that's an interesting one, Josh. Well, um, the, our, our next coaching outpost is really. And actually the, the last thing I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you after you interrupted me, Matt, no offense, but uh, he, he knows the area. He was at North Carolina and was brilliant with the Tar Heels in the nineties. Yeah, no, that, that, that's true. He was, I mean, he, he had some fantastic success there. I don't know. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm not obviously in, in tune with what Mac Brown wants, but he seems to be pretty comfortable in the broadcast booth. So, um, but uh, we can move from there. I, I'm going to have a horrible um, tangent here. Our next school, Syracuse, has a great broadcast media program. But no one wants to play football there uh, because it's in the middle of nowhere. That is Syracuse, who dismissed Scott Schaefer after going four and eight, two and six this year. Um, 
you know, career losing record, but uh, like Rutgers, who wants to take this job? Um, well, yeah. you know, Babers, uh, he's, he's the name, Babers. he's, he's the name that keeps coming up. Um, every time I, every time I see an update about Syracuse, it is that, you know, if, if he gets hired, it'll be the worst kept secret because, you know, he keeps trying to, he keeps trying to refute that. And then all of a sudden he's going to get hired and he's like, okay, Dino, you, you weren't fooling anybody. We knew you were going to Syracuse. Um, and they're trying to get him at like one million dollars. They're trying to pay a. They're trying. They want a head coach that's going to come in and win, but they're only going to pay him a million dollars to do so. And I know that sounds kind of petty because they're only going to get paid a million dollars. But when the going rate for a successful head coach is three million, you better pony up and and, and pay the three million. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're, I mean, especially if, you're, you're going to pay, you're gonna, and you're going to have to pay a premium to get someone up to rural New York. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, they, you know, I don't know. They just got to. Josh, do you think Babers would be a, a good hire here? I mean, Babers could certainly coach. Here's. I think I he would, would be. He just won't get the support. Yeah. Here's the problem with Syracuse. The facilities are dated, and I was already looking at their schedule. Their schedule is murder next year. The ACC hasn't released they're a conference slate, but we know within the division they have to play Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, NC State, all four are bowl-bound teams. And then their non-conference has already been announced, South Florida, a bowl team, at Connecticut, a bowl team, and Notre Dame, a bowl team. You are probably getting seven losses immediately when you're there. This is a program that – has been determined to do the three years and out thing. So if you know your first year is going to be seven losses minimum, you know your first year is going to be god-awful, which means you're probably going to be on the hot seat your second year. This job, they need to either be totally committed to whoever they get and give them five, six, seven-year contract, kind of like Indiana did with Kevin Wilson, and let them figure it out and build that thing, or they need to pony up the cash and actually get someone. They're trying to be cheap and win now. That never happens. They're doing the whole have your cake and eat it too thing. Dumb. Dumb decision by Syracuse. Yeah. Well, our, our final school sticking in the ACC, moving back to the Coastal Division, is Virginia, where Mike London resigned, but he was going to get fired anyway, let's face it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, he felt kind of like one of those like dictators in an Asian country where – <laughs> they resign, and then the military dictatorship executes them the next day. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he, he resigned. He was going to be out anyway. Uh, this is another tough job. You know, at, at great academic school makes it tougher to get into. Uh, really, But really recruiting rich, uh, re- recruiting rich area, think about the Tidewater area in Virginia. Uh, Coach, anyone, you can, anyone you've heard of uh, name popping up here? Well, uh, this is where I thought Mark Rick was going to go originally. Oh. Um, but I've heard um, that Jeff Brom is a, is a likely candidate. He's not interviewed yet, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they went after him. Uh, Lincoln Riley would be a good fit there, uh, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Um, any one of these coordinators um, that haven't gotten jobs yet I think would be a really good fit in Virginia. Somebody that's somebody that's a good recruiter, somebody that's young, somebody that understands that, 
you know, you're not going to win right away. Um, but if you, if you stay the course, you, you, you have a chance. So, um, those are some of the names that I've seen, uh, you know, there, there's just not a whole lot being published about their coaching search, but I imagine, um, you know, some of those guys are going to get it. And I, I think if Jeff Brom, you know, I think Jeff Brom should get some serious looks at it. But um, I also think that, you know, I think he'd be selling himself short if he, if he took that job. Uh, no offense to Virginia, but uh, I, I think he could probably do a little bit better than that. But, um yeah, Josh, what do you think about the Virginia job? I would say the the biggest plus about the job is the athletic directorship and the fans have very, very realistic expectations, and they give coaches plenty of slack to try and make it happen. Mike London was given six years, Al Groh before that, nine years. And this is a place that you can win at. Their coach before Al Groh is – one of the very underrated Hall of Fame coaches of all time, George Welsh, who's their 82 to 2000, won two conferences. It, you can win there. You just need to be patient. You need to do the thing where you get a recruiting class and you kind of take your lumps for three years. That, that fourth year, you're competitive. Then you sort of rebuild it. I think the fans and administration is fine with that. So it is a good it is a good job in terms of the job security standpoint where you know you're not going to have the rug pulled out from under you if you don't make a crappy bowl game your second or third year. Yeah, that, that's very true. That's very true. Well, um, speaking about patience, we thank you for your patience for sticking with us on this uh, epically long uh, uh, Illegal Motion podcast. So uh, any, uh, any closing words, any parting shots, you guys? Well, um it was a very action-packed show. Stay with it. Lots of lots of information about the coaching coaching world. Um, keep you know we'll keep you guys in tune to some of these uh, staff hires and uh, coordinator movings and, and, and things like that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll definitely be touching on those going forward. Well, yes, interesting things are going to happen here down the stretch. Well, my parting shot was we haven't seen any of those crazy domino. Scenarios where a coach gets fired and then, you know, like six, five, six jobs get affected. It's coming. Don't worry. I, if, if Baylor drops the hammer and puts like 50 to 60 on Texas and completely embarrasses them and they fall to four and eight, I'm not sure Charlie Strong can survive that. And then what happens? Because, you know, Texas – will be trying to get Saban again. They might be able to get Les Miles, who could be upset with how the last month has gone at LSU. You know Texas is going to get a major, major player, and then who knows what the hell will happen. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, again, we thank you for sticking with us on uh, this Illegal Motion podcast. So um, for uh, the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and for the blogger, Josh Cook, in Chicago, Illinois, I am the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yeah! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.